0: Welcome to The Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face.
1: Chris, my friend, how are you?
2: There's the man. Good. I I was uh, I had a conversation with uh, a friend, uh, a journalist, a couple of days ago, and he commented. It was a Monday. He said, "But have you noticed that every day feels like Tuesday?"
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And I thought, "Wow, that's 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 really right." And and you know what? Today today really feels like Tuesday to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is it is that that is the the, the feeling. Like it's interesting how you think about the relativity of 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 time and. With the whole world kind of shut down, time seems like so meaningless now, right? Like it doesn't seem like it matters what day it is.
2: It has a lot less meaning than it used to. I mean, you think of you know people who you know, work nine to five in an office. Um, you know, the divide in how you how you just go about between the weekend and the weekday is is so stark, you know. And there is this kind of accumulated exhaustion of moving yourself in space, home to work, home to work, groceries and stuff like that. And, and then the weekend being a, a break from that. And, and that's just completely gone.
1: Completely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of obliterated, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. So, which is why, you know, and this is not all where I thought
2: we'd go, <laughs> you know, but you know, why I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, the working, so the taboo against working from home is totally broken. And I think that most like office environments, um, to the extent when they go back there there's going to be you know it's it's going to be routine for people to spend some days each week working from home just because of this discovery of how much time and energy you can kind of you know both drain in that commute and save if um if you don't have to make it
1: well yeah and i think the big thing for me with the pandemic with the whole corona phenomena is it, it, the big question of the asymptomatic carrier right we know there are people that are testing Positive that are not symptomatic, right? And so, this is the challenge, I think, is I think people are going to get better about not going to work sick now. Like, that's something that a lot of people were, care, were kind of careless about and would go to work sick. But, but what happens if you are, you, you don't know you're sick, right? So, you, so you go to work, you're an asymptomatic carrier, but you're like a typhoid Mary and you're infecting everybody in the office. So, I just think. For a while, people that can work from home, it's going to be a new normal for a long time just because until we figure out what we don't know, what or until we get to the bottom of the things, the known unknowns, which again, for me, the big one is the asymptomatic carriers. There was a meat plant in Missouri three weeks ago or something, 339 asymptomatic, non-symptomatic positive tests. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, that is insane. I mean, that, <laughs> it's just like, I don't even know how you begin... To contain, to contain a virus when we don't... And again, we don't have enough tests, right? Uh, we're not, we're not going to have enough tests. Possi- I mean, it, that's not going to come about for a really, really long time. And it, it, it's just going to... So yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think working from home where it can be done will become the new normal for the foreseeable future.
2: Well, you know, so if I think of what... I, I just thinking, listening to you, of uh, the conversations I've had with my friends in Asia... Uh, the past few weeks about how you kind of they returned to work and what that looked like, and although I think like Europe and North America is still you know quite a quite a ways behind in that in figuring that out and in implementing it, I think that we're probably going to follow some kind of similar paths. Which is, it's going to be at you know a kind of sector by sector, industry by industry level. Policymakers are going to make judgments around um, how how safe is it for this industry to return to work, right? And so you think of industries, um, you know, working in a meat packing plant, that might be a highly unsafe industry versus, I don't know what would be a good example, and, you know, but I, it doesn't come to mind, but you know, there are other industries where, yeah, that's relevant. Relatively- Designing
1: computer games from home.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, right? Or And, and so there's going to be at that level, there's going to start to see, you're going to start to see distinctions being made between what are relatively safe and what are relatively unsafe uh, industries and jobs, just based on what the what the risk of physical proximity and transmission is, and then the other thing, really interesting, and and you saw this, you know, throughout China as it went through the opening. So at a, at a company, at an office by office level, at a workplace by workplace level, uh, audits get performed. And so auditor comes in and evaluates what you are doing for your organization to minimize the risk of transmission, and they either give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So at a kind of local level, particular to that work environment, you got to demonstrate that you've taken some steps and that you've taken seriously these risks and and mitigated them somehow. Um, and 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 that's how you kind of you know minimize that risk on the front line. There's actually there are a whole you know there's a whole industry of sort of workplace. Safety auditing that is booming right now because you know every workplace is going to need this. So that's going to be that's going to be, I think, part of how we go from this quite blunt instrument right now, or basically like nothing happens, to a much more kind of refined, almost like street level, office level analysis of can you guys go back to work or not? Whether or not there's testing, there's still going to be a kind of risk assessment. Of how likely it is that people here might have it, and people here might spread it. And and you it's-
1: see in South Korea, they, they just um, this is as of today, uh, they have reinstituted closures on museums, theaters, parks, and other public facilities in the Seoul metro area for two weeks because there's been a new outbreak. They, you know they, you know you've opened back up. There's a new outbreak, and now they've got to. This is kind of whatever the hammer dance model, I guess they call it, where the hammer is the lockdown and you slowly dance back out. But this is I mean, this is in the United yeah, States, I think
2: happening. Yeah. Nobody's going to get it perfect. There's going to be kind of we got to open up and we think we know, you know, what's what's relatively unsafe, what's relatively safe. But we're always going to kind of maintain the the surveillance to see, is it is it getting to a point where it's going to overwhelm our healthcare system again? And as soon as we think that it might, that's when we're going to shut things down again until we get under control again and try to figure out what, you know, what weren't we paying attention to that time and try to get, you know, try to get better at it, better at it the next
1: time. Yeah. And in, in the States, I think we have increases. I think, I think I saw 26 states are seeing increases and we're not really seeing a flattening out and we're seeing a, a steady climb here. I mean, it's, 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 it's not, it's not true that we have 4%, the United States is 4% of the world's population. We have 30% of the deaths.
2: That you've counted
1: right, right, right that we've counted right right right
2: right exactly you know, because- one one of the things that interesting a little tidbit I did not know about your country, but I, I I now have some more understanding of is anybody can become a coroner in the United States. It's like you know it's like becoming a notary public. you can kind of run the test and you can become a coroner, but you know the people who are writing out the death certificates um and making decisions about you know what was the cause of death for this corpse have a fascinatingly wide range of qualifications, let's say, to actually perform that task.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and this is the debate. I mean, like, because there are some people that think you should be over- a corner. I would love to be a corner. <laughs> uh, there's some. There's some. There's a great show, Quincy. It was a show when I was a kid about uh, it, it. Was uh, who who played Quincy? A famous actor. But it was great, but it, he was a corner. It was like a crime corner. But, you know, people, some people are thinking that we're over-reporting deaths and some people think we're under-reporting deaths. And like, it's, it's, this is the thing we just, it's, it's a crazy, I mean, and we're just so ill-equipped, I mean, for, for handling this in the States. It's just like, and again, it doesn't seem like we're getting in much better of a place you know, like when Trump says everybody that de- needs a test can get a test. No, we can't. <laughs> that's just a, I mean, that's just like a, that's just a complete fallacy. And so you you have like it's just a crazy, uh, crazy thing. And, uh, and a lot of these states that are opening up have not met the guidelines of the two weeks. I don't think any of the states that have opened back up have met the two week. Decline, which they said, you know, they basically said it would be safe to start opening up when you saw a two weeks straight consecutive decline of cases. I don't think any states have met that.
2: Yeah, it's so. There's there's a lot of threads where we could go with this. What one one interesting thing that uh, that I wanted to share is, you know, it just I I, I I mean, we are so consumed with what is happening in our own countries. It's also, I think, just really interesting and important to to recognize how how wide ranging the experience is kind of across countries. Um, so, you know, a country might have a pretty good grasp of the virus itself. Um, I was just, uh, I was just on a conference call earlier today uh, with a bunch of people. One of them is uh, sort of senior advisor to the government of Morocco. And interesting to think about, you know, how, how Morocco is very different from the U S when it comes to COVID-19. And in, in one respect that, You know, the U.S. as an economy, when it's operating, it it, it mainly trades among itself. Like 90 percent of U.S. GDP is sort of activity within the United States, whereas for a country like Morocco, they're so dependent upon um, tourism as an export. And so even if everything was perfectly fine in Morocco, just the fact that Europe isn't coming to travel you know, that no one is coming to travel means that there is this broad swath of their economy that even if they open it all up would be shut down anyway because nobody's coming to play right now and 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 so that is that is this other giant dimension of what's happening that you know we we haven't even had the time to to properly pay attention to you know so there are so many export economies you know in, in Kenya for example communities that, that basically their sole export is flowers, fresh cut flowers that get flown to Europe, um, none of which is happening at the moment. Um, and so kind of the knock on consequences of of trying to freeze everything in place. We're just beginning to we, we haven't even really begun to understand that at the same time that we're still trying to figure out how do we how do we open it back up? But uh, all of that, I guess that was just our sort of 10 minutes of COVID
1: conversation that we had. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I had I, yeah I, I it actually, is, it's a fascinating thing to 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 think about because again it, it it just shows societally like um well again it just it, it shows income inequality it should you know it shows it, it, inadequate public health systems in certain countries it's just a kind of crazy crazy thing yeah anyway
2: I, I really I really wanted to pick your brain about something um and so if we could turn to that let's do it my friend okay. let's it's, turn selfishly let's focus on me for a moment so okay so I've got an event coming up Next week, um, I, I'm another an event one. which I am registered for. Are you registered for it? Okay, thank God, because yeah. I'm going to have to ask you to help me out with a couple of things. But we'll talk about that offline. This is uh, yet another social experiment. I'm calling it the Great Pause, and and basically the idea is, you know, like our, our audience is a pretty diverse audience. I think um, everyone everyone shares the shares something, in that we're all kind of unusually thoughtful people. I think that's fair to say anybody who's listening to this is is a bit strange in how thoughtful they are <laughs> about the world we inhabit. And and uh, and yet, you know, we pay attention to so many different aspects of of the world. And I thought let's let's get some of us together in one virtual room to to basically, you know, talk about two things. First, what have we discovered? Okay? So so we're, we're in this great pause, this extraordinary moment of of stillness so first what have we discovered which is kind of like looking back you know t- t- to our conversation the atlas project like you know what's what's been missing from the maps that we've drawn of the world okay so what have we discovered and then second sort of looking forward so what do you want to explore and i feel like that's a great kind of balance of conversation about looking back to what we've learned and then looking forward to the implications of that and so, yeah okay so i've discovered this and now i want to explore that so in my head, this all makes perfect sense. And the question is how to set people up, diverse people, to have um, insightful, good conversations around these two topics. And so I thought, OK, so, you know, we're going to have I, I, I've limited the number of people who can come on to this thing. So we're pretty much full. But we're going to have like, let's say, 50 or 60 people. Um, and we're going to run this twice, so on two separate calls. But you got 50 or 60 people on a call. we got to get into small groups. That's the only way that we can really start to have a conversation with one another. So we're going to break up into groups. Now, here's here's how I've thought about it. What What occurs to me is that what have you discovered depends on what you've been paying attention to. Does that make sense? Like what you notice is going to depend on what you've been paying attention to. Yeah. Okay. So my thought then is, okay, so... To start things off, I want to divide us into several groups. And I want to I want my my principle of division being like sort of different ways of attending to what's been going on in the world. I I mean I really I spent half a day yesterday trying to think of okay, let's say I needed to break people up into seven groups or several groups. What's the right way to break people up? So what I want to do is share with you how I decided to break it up, and then kind of tear that apart because I think it's a really interesting question. Like how do you, what's, what's, what's your, how do you, how do you, yeah, I don't know how to even describe it anyway. So I thought one thing I didn't want to do was make it too obvious for people so that like, Oh, you know, all the investors go into a circle over there. All the unemployed go into a group over here. All the teachers are going to go into a group over there. I wanted to make it somehow a less obvious typology, if that makes sense. So, Basically, my seven groups are, um, if you want to talk about what have we discovered about self or systems, those are two groups. The next two groups are work and life. The next two groups are community and world. And then my last and seventh group is laughter. (laughs) 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 I like it. I don't know. Do you? I had also thought, because I guess the question is how to divide people up. As a starting point, you know, they move around and stuff like that. But it becomes a really interesting question. How would you divide people up into distinctive conversations about the now?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so I I was part of, we talked about this a little bit, uh, I think, since the meeting. But I was part of the, the base camp gathering. And I had a, one thing that was interesting is almost all people, all the people in my group were from Phoenix, which I don't know why that was, but... Uh, oh,
2: that's that's because that was a newcomer event and the convener was from Phoenix.
1: Okay, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Okay, So
2: so, uh, so the newcomer events are going to be kind of like that. There's going to be some kind of organizing principle
1: around which they're brought together. So I really had... A, and I guess I was the veteran camper too. Like I was the person that had been to base camp before, so I was sort of helping to facilitate my group. You knew where the outhouse is. Right, exactly. I knew where <laughs> the campfire is everything. Don't mess with that girl. I had such a positive experience. Uh it it was a remarkably good conversation. And again, the interesting thing to me, I think I brought this up in in the group discussion, was I saw a really good connect like connection between the self and the systems. Like it's interesting because we had a, a sort of equal and ultimate conversational energy around both, around the the systemic stuff. Like what what are you know the pressures on school systems on on someone who runs a theater I mean really interesting systemic questions and then questions about just self and how people's own personal existential kind of journey in the midst of this So I have to say it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question about how you, I, I mean I like your I mean I like those your topology I mean I think it's it's an interesting way to break it down and 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 interdisciplinary people first of I think one of the things that like is is going to relativize the need to have really sharp topologies are are like what's going to bring these people together in this kind of base camp community mindset are people that like interdisciplinary conversation and that people that like talking about the world so there's going to be a kind of ebb and flow in any of these conversations i think just because that's the great thing about the community and that's one of the reasons I'm glad to be a part of it. I mean, I find uh, it gets me out of out of like my own head, my own world. Uh, it's this is one of the reasons I love doing my interview podcast. I'm cons- I'm constantly talking with people that are doing things not directly related to anything I've trained in or studied or done professionally. And so that kind of it's always keeping me thinking. And that's part of what I think is invigorating about the culture you're creating is that it 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 you you're getting we see so much more together, right? Because of this a vast array of, of people that, that yeah, even though they're different, have this kind of DNA of, of a common concern, which I think is, is helpful and, and again, energizing.
2: So yeah, uh, listening to all of that, you know, so the event that we did last week, um, yeah, yes, people broke out into groups and we just did it randomly Yeah. You know, kind of relying upon like, let's take a general question And and let's make the richness be about hitting it from a bunch of like from whatever perspective we want to bring this this uh, this event that we're doing next week is kind of playing playing with not being overly prescriptive, but exploring what 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 is different in what emerges. Right. right. When we when we we think it, it is always a good idea to just do it randomly. right there's always a kind of quality and a value to that experiment. But it doesn't mean that it's not interesting to experiment with other ways of starting a conversation. And and I guess what I liked about the idea of, so I said, okay, so let's challenge ourselves. Let's think of a starting point. And I thought, I, my, my first thought was, you know, kind of, I don't know, sort of that logical mind that said, let me think of a hierarchy, right? Like, do you want to kind of, do you want to talk about discoveries of the self or maybe your personal sphere or maybe community, or maybe kind of economy, or nation, or international. Like, I had this kind of hierarchy in my mind. But then I realized, well, that's difficult, because if you're trying to be sort of mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive, I think is what the philosophers talk about with these kind of systems. Then you get into all these questions about, well, what about the academic who wants to talk about education? Right? Is education, if I want to do that, is that the national group? Or is that the, the community group? And you get into all of these terrible, boring kind of, thought experiments about like where am i supposed to go in this clean typology you've created and so i thought no the hell with that okay let's 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 not try to have the elegant typology instead let's just identify a few sets of tensions and then and then people can just whatever those words mean to them they will gravitate you know self system is kind of a tension right um Community versus world, work versus life, you know, that work-life balance. And then I thought, what the other thing that maybe is neat about actually labeling the conversations that people would start off with is it gives you a chance to choose. Do I want to be part of a conversation about what I've been particularly paying attention to? Because I feel like I might have discovered something that I really, you know, that other people should hear. I've been thinking a lot about myself and what this all means. And I've discovered something. So I want to share that. Or do I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of go to a place where I haven't been paying attention lately and listen to, to those who have? So I thought, yeah, interesting dynamic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I, I felt like... When we had Sophia Ikura on the podcast last time, that was an instance where I, I probably am not paying attention to healthcare policy the, at the intersection of social welfare, and I learned a ton. I mean, I, I in just a short conversation, I learned a lot from her. I mean, I thought it was a really good conversation. And So yeah, there's. I mean, I think there's merit in both pr- approaches, right? Like either can be helpful or, or useful, probably. You know, there's. Um, I feel like I'm not being incredibly helpful here because I'm saying it. I like the way you've done it. I think stick with it. I I think let's stick with the way you're doing it. Then we're going to run this
2: experiment and we're going to see what's happening. I I think that some people will be uncomfortable with it. I think some people like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's definitely going to be some type A's in the room who want to get together with people who are doing very similar stuff and kind of use the space as an opportunity to, you know, get shit done, um, season opportunities. And, and I think they, if they find one another and they want the room to do that, then we'll let them do that. um, no, no point standing in their way but i i feel like the bigger opportunity and maybe that kind of you know like you talk about a podcast interviewing i i i feel like you know this whole moment is a big argument in favor of 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 having a wide range of of kind of perspectives to yeah, yeah, enrich yeah, our own thinking yeah. about what's going on because because you know the things that we need to pay attention to—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's really hard to um, to make those decisions cleanly in the real world, and we kind of pretend it all the time. Like, who paid attention to healthcare? It's just this thing we took for granted, right? And yet, we all depend upon it now. All of us are at risk from it, and so somehow we have to somehow. So that, that you know, that's going to be difficult because we're not—we're not—we're not very good at. Well, to bring it full circle, that making time to roam, you know, intellectually, you know, with with our curiosity, with with the people that we hang out with. There's so much incentive and pressure to kind of, you know, make our workflows as efficient as possible. And there is a there is a terrible inefficiency about diversity, even though there's also you know one of the gains is resilience and and you know, I feel like that's something that we haven't there is this I, I don't don't know if you've noticed it, but you know certainly in, in kind of um, organizational leadership businesses, there's this giant narrative right now about resilience. Okay, resilience is this word that you basically you, you feel you feel better about how we are. You know what we're doing as a business, what we're thinking about. If if resilience is on the agenda somewhere <laughs> right now, and yet I don't know if it's really set in for people um, how inefficient you need to be in order to be resilient.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm. I mean, yeah, that's, is, yeah, that's you know, interesting. The, yeah, I mean, it it it's the opposite of. Yeah. You know, we're 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 more and more data driven. You know, we've more and more artificial intelligence that is. That is, um, understanding our patterns of what we are consuming, yeah, yeah. Uh, we pay attention to, and helping us to attend to that more, to get more efficient at finding the stuff that is relevant. And by relevant, it really means that is somehow similar to what you've done in the past, right? I guess, in, in your case, you know, I imagine every time you go into porn, it's kind of all the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Howard Stern always says he yeah. he's, he's he's consistently always looking at ba- uh, step stepmom porn and babysitter porn. That's really disturbing. Yeah, you know the stepmom and the, yeah, these are these are these are very you know, yeah no 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 it's yeah you know, it isn't yeah it is it, it's an interesting question. Um, so we know we know it's good for us, right? We know that diversity
2: is good for us. We know that we know that you know being open to a wider range period like without qualification is probably beneficial purely because of how far to kind of the uh, how far the pendulum has swung the other way toward efficiency and yet there's just not a lot in our lives that that reward us for for being inefficient
1: right and i think also the specialization is an interesting phenomenon right because you you like you have these people like you know could we have a max weber today right like just, you know, that, that great, the great social theorist, Weber. I mean, that guy knew like everything you could know basically about religion, economy, society, social theory that like he just need, like it, it, because, you know, because he had like, hundred. <laughs> well, even, yeah. Well, I mean, even, even though there's there was still specialization in his time, it wasn't to the degree there is now. It's like, could we in the age of specialization, could we produce a Weber anymore? Like, is that even possible? I mean, you know, like. And the thing about Weber, right, it's interesting when you read him, he he just makes so many connections. And, and you know, and part of like, you know, he, he's a non-reductive kind of thinker, right, quite consciously, right? He's he's over and against someone like Marx, who he thinks is reductive on things from religion and economy and society. And so Weber is like intentionally non-reductive, right? And so, and I, which is what, you know, again, I think makes engaging someone like Weber interesting, but... That that gets harder and harder to do in the age of specialization, right? Like to be like like your book, uh, the age of discovery, right? Like you know, when you write a book like that, you open yourself up, right? Because it's kind of a, a generalist sort of approach to. Oh yeah, every, every
2: specialist around right. the world right. has a reason to knock you down. Yeah,
1: right. So everybody just takes potshots. You've
2: misrepresented. Pots. You've, misresemp- you've misresep- misrepresented either the history or the the technology or right. the science or the economics.
1: Yeah, That's and right. so what? What you wind up is these kind of conversations that are. That are specialized and with lots of data, but like part of like what we want to do, right, is we, we we want to make wider connections. You know, this is like Aristotle's point, right? Like we're rational animals, so part of what we want to do is we want to make big connections, right? We want to we want to connect this to that, to this to that, like and so and, the, and that's the nature of just like existentially, I think we want that, right? Like this is what the nature of human being is, and the more we get discrete and say well this is this this is this over here this is this over there i think we we might have more knowledge it's funny i i i feel like we've just talked about this on the podcast but like before but like you know aristotle might not have as much knowledge of the world as we have now but he sure felt less alienated in it, in it right like you know he, he's he's someone that is able to connect ethics to rhetoric to politics to logic you know in, in ways that like w- that makes for an integrated human experience and i think the degree that we don't do that is the degree to which we're we will find ourselves um while we might have more knowledge of the world we'll be more alienated from it at the same time i'm
2: really i don't know if i'm going to be able to do it um fast enough for you i might have to um i might Chris have has to his vision. ipad out and yeah uh, you know what give me a moment you could you can you can you can edit this part out later
1: but there is no issue. editing i'll just talk you <laughs> don't edit this podcast no you have to you have to edit it you have we to. don't edit we don't edit editing is for losers <laughs> I, although it is funny though i i do think like i i spend less time doing editing largely because i think you get more content out and, and just as if people are into podcasting it's better to prepare and put your time in there than put it on the back end of editing what are you looking for
2: OK, so I'm going to read. So this is a book um, by another sort of very syn- synthetic author uh, called Ian McGilchrist. And uh, the book is called The Master and His Emissary. And I just thought of it because in his in his sort of introduction to the book, he, he writes this uh, this this terrific sort of disclaimer to all of the specialists that he's going to be offending. Um, so he says, you know, he's he's talking about the book is talking about the brain. So he says, you know, this book, I'm going to get into neurology and psychology, but also philosophy, literature, the arts, archaeology, anthropology. And I hope the specialists in these areas will forgive my trespasses. Every realm of academic endeavor is now subject to an explosion of information that renders those few who can still truly call themselves experts, experts on less and less. And it's partly for for this very reason. It nonetheless seems to me worthwhile to try to make links outside and across the boundaries of the disciplines even though the price may be that one is always at best an interested outsider and at worst an interloper condemned to make mistakes that will be obvious to those who really know. My hope is only that what I have to say may resonate with the ideas of others and possibly act as a stimulus. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. So, so I've often felt like an interloper into, into other areas of expertise. And yet again, this moment that we live in right now, it, 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 it just seems, so obvious that, we I mean, we all kind of need to be interlopers in the best way.
1: Yeah, right yeah, 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 that's interesting, the whole, the, the problem of expertise, and and yet, and this is not to minimize, I mean, because you want to have both of these concerns, like, because I think, right, there's, I've had a guest on the Give and Take podcast before, Tom Nichols, who wrote this, he's, you know, you see him on American Cable News a lot, and Bill Maher and stuff like that, and he's a really bright guy, teaches at the Navy War College, I think, in Rhode Island or something, but he wrote a great book called the the death of expertise and and sort of concerned about rightly so that like Americans are a little too dismissive of expert expertise and data and and things like that which is which obviously i mean this kind of you know this is this is how you get the age of Donald Trump right you know this is trump's not the 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 illness he's the symptom in many ways of like of the of what so I want to say like expertise is important right and yet at the same time I want to also say we don't want to be limited by the prison of of expertise right so that nobody's thinking about anything in in, a, in an organic whole way right because we want I mean we want a picture of the whole like that's the purpose of the data and the expertise to to, to get an emerging picture of the whole
2: and I think I mean I. I think that this is part of where we need to go with the, um, the direction of the interviews that we, we, we try to bring into this space, into this kind of safe intellectual space with us is experts who, who understand their domain well enough and have the, 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 the courage to declare what they don't know and not 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 from a place of ignorance but from a place of 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 expert naivete which is to you know to really understand that yeah these are the things that we have a strong understanding of and this is the stuff that we don't know because i think i think what you've described is is right you know the 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 kind of destruction of the legitimacy of the expert has happened because we 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 gave the expert A halo of all knowingness. Right, right. And that was the mistake. Right. Right. Expertise, especially going forward, like expertise can't be about knowing it all. Expertise has to be about stuff that we that we know and stuff that we know needs to be explored, needs to be challenged, needs to be questioned. So that so that everyone who claims expertise is also clearly opening doors, clearly creating hooks. other people to connect to so that you know the whole picture has got to be a kind of collaborative effort i think i can contribute a clear piece of it but i know that it's not the whole picture and here's why because we don't know this we don't know this you know we're really focused on that and it means that we have no visibility on that other thing and i think that you know if we can get if we can create a space where 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 the experts can 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 come and 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 kind of both speak and question from, from, from that stance, then, then I think, then I think w- w- we're really, we're really on to something because then, then it's, it's all about, again, it's about trying to, trying to help us all to see the stuff that we aren't paying enough attention to, to the stuff that we aren't noticing. And I think there always needs to be that, that other side to the coin of expertise. I didn't say that very well, but you, But I feel like you know the gist of what I'm trying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, no, this, yeah, this this is, yeah, no, no. And we need people that are integrative thinkers. I mean, these are where people like someone like Hegel or somebody who's really trying to get a theory of everything I think is valuable, even if you don't agree with the particulars of all of it. Although I do think Hegel's probably right about more things than he's wrong about. Um, I once heard a philosopher who is a Hegel scholar say that um, one of his colleagues said Taking logic lessons from Hegel is like taking culinary lessons from Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> but I do think no, I mean I, I I do think that is like we need these we need big bold thinkers that help, you know that help us to, and again, this is sort of the base camp idea, right that getting people that can come together to try to see the whole together because like you're right, we'll see it better together. I mean, we'll always see it better together. maybe maybe let me put it this way.
2: Uh, maybe this is a more poetic expression i think that we've grown up in a culture where the 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 ideal the the ideal notion of the expert is the person who stands on a stage and speaks with such authority that the only response can be total silence Mm -hmm. i think that it's it's the expert who by speaking silences everyone who hears like that is the truth And I think we need to get to a notion of expert where the the best expert is the one who creates the most conversation, and even that needs refinement, like 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 good conversation. But but it has to be some of the expert, the best expert, one who invites people into an important conversation, but 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 speaks in a way that gives others voice to Mm -hmm. contribute, rather than speaks in a way that says I know everything. And so the best you can do is shut up and listen, because I think that that is the notion of expertise against which there has been a, a giant popular backlash. They're like, no, no, don't shut me up, right? I I want to, I want to contribute something to this conversation as well, and and figuring out how to, you know, figuring out how to handle this phenomenon of populism and fake news, I think also involves figuring out how to handle a transition yeah from, yeah, from, from expertise as dominating you with the authority of my words to expertise that invites you with the, I don't know how to finish that sentence. I mean, that's the work that remains to be doing. The expertise yeah, yeah, that, they, in, they, that invites yeah. you with, with, I guess, with the authority of my
1: doubts. Ooh, that's good. I don't yeah, know what yeah, it yeah, means. Yes, but yes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is T.S. Eliot. Like, T.S. Eliot said, you know, that, that he always ah, preferred description to prescription. This is the, this is, sorry. This is the problem of, of, of talking with you is everything that I say that I think is cool, you tell me I've plagiarized. <laughs> well, all of it. Very few original thoughts of them, but, like, but but T. S. Eliot said, you know, it, it's always better. He valued description over prescription because he said, you know, and why he left philosophy to go become a man of letters was, you know, one of the things he says is philosophers don't understand their metaphors, and a poet always understands their metaphors. It's like he said, you know, philosophers build systems but based on explanation. And so, like that means your system has to be over against my system. If the purpose of the system is is solving the problem, is coming up with an explanation, then necessarily my system's adversarial to yours. But if description is the is the goal, they're not opposed. If you're looking at a statue from one end of the of the museum floor, I'm looking at it from another, and we're both seeing different things. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, we, we can fill out what our perception and experience of the statue is better by, by multiple descriptions, right? The, the, as opposed to saying, well, prescriptively, my explanation or your explanation, my solution or your solution, right? And that's, I think, you're talking about the dominating or domineering authoritarian effect of, of expertise, where it becomes prescriptive explanation, solution-oriented, as opposed to descriptive. We're around, we're around the campfire, and we're describing what we're seeing, experiencing, feeling in the world we're walking in. Okay.
2: Oh my God. So brain flash. So make it a couple of things. Make a note, philosopher and the poet. That's, we got to write a book on that at some point. Yeah. Oh yeah. There, yeah, a, yeah. Great, there's a great book in there. Although you're probably going to tell me that T.S. Eliot already wrote that book. Yeah. Okay. T.S. So,
1: Eliot, Eliot took his dissertation to the Harvard philosophy department. I want to hear it. <laughs> turned, it in, turned it in and didn't defend it and left and went to England. <laughs> he turned it in and didn't defend it.
2: <laughs> okay. I, I, I did not have the balls to do that the other thought is we need to get a poet on here fast we need we need we need a we need a poet as a guest that would be great and then the other thought was okay so now we come full circle because I remember when i was saying so we're doing this event next week and and i really struggled i spent a half a day trying to think of what what should these starting groups be and and it really was a journey from philosophy to poetry because i started with trying to think of what is i was trying to see through the diversity of people who were coming to this and the diversity of things that they said that they wanted to talk about and trying to kind of find, you know, in an analytic reductive way, what are, what are, what are the, what are the, what's the deeper structure here, right? That, that represents the whole. I was really trying to be a social scientist, right? You're always trying to reduce the data down to a simpler form that is still kind of efficient. And, 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 you know, the place I got to was ultimately a more poetic place. Which is to say it it may not be that the kind of reductive clean system is the right stimulus for people to get into meaningful talk with one another. Let's let's think instead about the participant as co-author of what these groups mean. And and if it's that, then then kind of the lighter The structure; the more room there is to interpret it and to decide for myself what this means, the more enabling that's going to be.
1: I think that's really good that you're paying attention to these questions because I think that, like we, it's so important to realize how how the structures we choose for conversations, things like that, shape the reality we're we're experiencing. Right? They're not neutral. They're you know this is some people call this like critically realist epistemology, right? Like we're you know. If you're a critical realist, you're not it's not that you don't think you're really experiencing the world, but you can't ex- experience it apart from the lenses which you bring to it.
2: Okay, just as an aside, I suddenly had this flash. I really want to get some kind of sound effects board. So whenever you say something like like critically realist epistemology, I can I can like have a i can push wah,
1: a no, no, no no no
2: i think actually what i would like to do is have have a, a ready sound effect of an audience clapping going
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean it's I, th- I
2: think props to you every time you use words and syllables that i have no idea what you're talking about But
1: i mean it's if you think about it, it's just like there's two kind of extremes about how we know things right some people think oh we just experienced the world as it is right uh you know, and then other people think, "Oh no, we just experience, we just create the world you know we we create the world through our our mind and our knowing and our experience, and the critical risk is now that both are kind of true like it's not that we really don't have an experience of the world, but that experience of the world is is inextricably colored and conditioned by the lenses which we bring to it, right, and the idea is hopefully because you're a realist that that the world can change your lenses, right? You know, that, that you can't experience the world without your cultural worldview kind of framework lenses. But hopefully th- there's a dynamic, critical interaction between them. So it's a kind of different view than a naive realist. Oh, I just experience the world and know the world as it is. Versus the skeptic who says, you know, I can't really know anything except what's in my own head. That kind of position. But I mean, it, what makes me think of that is the kind of conversation you're attending to here is is the kind of critical realist thing like how how is how is the structure of the conversation we're putting together shape the reality we experience and inevitably it does right and so you know and again it doesn't mean it that we don't experience any possibility of shared reality but attending to how we, we we where we sit around the campfire and how we sit right and and how we structure things that's going to shape our our, our the, the reality we're describing with, with each other inextricably
2: I think that's also, you know, there is, so I love this campfire metaphor and, you know, we're going to have to keep, it's going to be a big chapter of the next book. I think it's, it's a metaphor that can work, you know, when at the scale we are, you know, we get 50 people together and say, okay, let's, let's imagine we're, we're, we're attending a campfire together. But I think it's also, you know, it's also a metaphor that can help us understand, you know, like at a societal level at a national level, you know, one thing that becomes clear is how, how far we are from the campfire. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like in, in most of our, like, there's not only specialization in terms of like what area of knowledge do you work in, but we've also specialized in terms of who needs to be paid attention to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: There, are, there are leaders with formal authority and, and, and they need to be a pension, need to be, you know, kind of pay attention to. And then there are, you know, people who, you know, you you do various consultation exercises to get a kind of veneer of well. We asked them what they thought about that, and some people agreed, yeah. and some people disagreed. But you know, they're kind of they're not they're not sitting around the campfire,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? They're 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 not. If they disagree with something, that doesn't have any implications for you know what is decided was real and the basis upon which decisions were made. And I I mean I I guess this is. As a rabbit hole we will go we'll have to go down a, another time but there is this 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 other aspect to everything we are saying which is you know if 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 everything that we are doing is is right and if there, if there is something fundamentally right about searching for stronger truths together right about about you know compiling a new atlas of the world together how do we how do we integrate that into our, our decision structures, into how into how businesses decide what to do, you know, into how governments decide what to do? I mean, there's I think there's a level and, and maybe this has to do with kind of just the level of sort of civilization that we are at. Mm-hmm. So I think that right now there, there, are, there are a bunch of, you know, very, you know, a bunch of social experiments underway that are pregnant with possibility. Of exploring new ways of of kind of connecting and understanding and 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 getting to action and all of that, but it does feel like it's still kind of you know it's something that happens over there. It's it's not something that happens uh, at the mainstream of politics, you know, of big business, which is still you know, despite all of the gloss and whatever the latest kind of management craze is, is still um, still about formal hierarchy right I'd, what would be the what would be the alternative to the campfire so the campfire we get anyway we'll think of, think about that one too but you know like we're
1: yeah yeah we, like when you watch when you watch a US congressional hearing you have no it's like you you, you absolutely know that there's no chance that people are going to discover anything right everybody's just asking their tribal partisan questions and scoring media points like there's no campfire there right you you don't nobody discovers anything in one of those hearings right
2: i uh well that's another topic but i I, I take. I find special amusement in um, <laughs> in U.S. congressional hearings.
1: Yeah, they're pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah, they are pretty fascinating.
1: Well, my friend, we've said it all once again.
2: Yeah, it's great. I, I I just meant to. I really just wanted your quick uh, your quick input on.
1: And I'm looking forward to this conversation next week. I'm pretty pumped.
2: I'm really looking forward to it too. And I, I yeah, I'm going to have to follow up with you because I'm going to drag you into the control booth to help me actually run it. Sounds good. I love it. uh, Warning you in advance for that. All right, my friend. Thank you. Well then, enjoy your uh, yet another Tuesday. (laughs) Exactly. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to The Atlas Project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.